Amen. We're going to continue in our study tonight on the days of Noah. Amen. Praise God. Everybody can see that. Praise God, but uh, again, there's so many parallels in the Word of God, and a lot of what we are, uh, what we are studying, what we are revealing, uh, is the background of uh, right now of where uh, it, it led to and how it got to the times that it was um, in the Scriptures, uh, in the story of Noah. And uh, Jesus, we know, said in Matthew 24, 36 through 39, if we can pull that up and read our, uh, our main text, amen, again, uh, Jesus said this, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as, as the days of Noah were, so shall also be the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Okay, so again, those are the words of Jesus. Jesus tells us that it's going to be uh, as it is, was in the days of Noah, it's going to be now. So uh, just a real quick recap and uh, overview, uh, a quick from where we began to where we are, where we ended up last night. Uh, once again, just be reminded that God's default position is chaos. The Bible says in the beginning, amen, God, when God made the heavens and the earth, that the earth was without form and void. So it was, uh, amen, uh, with, with chaos. It was in uh, chaos and turmoil. So uh, we see that this is God's uh, default position. It's chaos. Remember the first uh, the first time we talked about trying to get these uh, these marbles, these stones, amen, uh, back into the order that they were uh, before they were shaken up. And that's just never going to happen. It's impossible for that to be, amen. And so uh, we talked about how the Bible is God's blueprint for life. Again, remember that this is not uh, the system that God has put into the universe that God has set forth is not a system exclusive to those who are born again. This is to all of humanity. That's why if folks follow uh, uh, the laws of God and they follow uh, uh, moral codes as set forth in the Bible, they will reap good things. Amen? Because that's how it is. That's a universal law that you reap what you sow. Okay? So it's not uh, uh, something that's exclusive to uh, to Christians. That's why the blessing of the Lord, uh, amen, is upon those, though, who are in covenant with God. So we know that chaos is an invisible, destructible force. You don't have to do anything to cause it. It's an automatic uh, a thing, and you have to put in something to push it back. So you've got to put some effort. You've got to inject something. You've got to do things to push back the chaos in order for the chaos not to ensue. But if you sit down, sit back, do nothing, it will not take very long before chaos begins to happen. But again, let me remind you that God uh, will take and make order out of chaos. That's what he does. 
He took the chaos that the earth was in, made order out of it, and that's what he did in the days of Noah as well. So we understand that 10 generations after Adam, uh, now we get into the time of Noah, and they naturally allowed chaos to take over the world, uh, to take over the earth. They naturally did that. So only 10 generations and then God had to step in. That 10th generation was Noah's generation. So God stepped in in Noah's generation. Uh, and so we talked about how that the begats in the book of Genesis are relevant uh, to, uh, to our understanding and to our knowing or to our uh, 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 conception of what the word is saying. So a lot of times the begats are our lists that we look over, right, that we skip over because... We feel like, you know, we can't pronounce them, and it really doesn't matter. But they really do matter when you understand the meaning of the Word of God. So they're relevant because they reveal trends in the generations. So uh, a lot of the begats tell us a lot about that generation. And so it's important to understand that uh, in this story because that is what led up to the chaos and the violence and the destruction and sin that was in the earth. And so it's important to realize, amen, to understand that, that how each generation uh, declined and how one generation's decline uh, contributed to the next generation's decline and so on and so forth, much like we've seen in the 60s and 70s and 80s and even back in the 50s and all of that. So uh, uh, that's what we, we talked about. But we realize that we have the power to even resist the trends, Right? We don't have to go with the cultural trend. We don't have to stay with it, amen? We can resist it and push back. And if we do, we can hinder the progress of that trend, even turn it around and put it on a different track. I believe that we can. I believe that's too late now. I'm not saying that that's a possibility now because we're at that place where we are, where uh, I believe that Noah was. And in that time, that God is about to say, this is enough, okay? So... Uh, but understand that uh, you have the power to push it back while you're living here, amen? So we realize we can't just skip from the story of Cain and Abel to Noah uh, because it's important to understand all of these concepts and to have a, a mindset of some of the things that uh, matter that give us some, uh, some insight or some secrets, if we can say it like that. How I many knows that? Uh, God has secret things in the Word, but He wants to reveal those things, right? We realize that. So last week, we talked a lot about Lamech, okay? Um, and uh, something that uh, we interestingly um, realized last week about Lamech in the Scripture. Lamech was Noah's father, but he was also it was also the name of Noah's father-in-law. So his wife, Naamah, her dad's name was Lamech, and Noah's father's name was Lamech. Okay, so we talked about how that names are significant. The meaning of names are important. They reveal something. And how that we don't see names repeated a lot in the scripture, especially in the book of Genesis. We don't see a lot of repeated names like, uh, you know, John the first, John the second, John the third, junior, uh, all of those kind of things. We don't see a lot of that. So when we do see a repeated name, uh, that means that there's something significant about that because names have a significant meaning. And so it's not, uh, it, it's telling us something when we, uh, when we look at 
the name Lamech and that Noah's father was Lamech and that Noah's father-in-law was also Lamech. So we called Noah's father-in-law Lamech A. Lamech A had two wives and this is the first time in the scripture that we see this uh, of having two wives and so Lamech A was the first to separate sex and reproduction. So um, he literally had a wife for pleasure and a life, a wife, a wife, yeah, a life, all right. He had a wife for pleasure and a wife to produce children and to produce family. So he was the first to to bring this uh, into uh, uh, that uh, that whole uh, concept of that whole understanding. We'll talk a little bit more about that tonight, uh, and then. We had Noah's father, we called him Lamech B, okay? Lamech B was a thought that Adam's curse was lifted because when Noah was born, Adam had died. Remember what the curse on Adam was. The curse to Adam was when he sinned, the ground would be cursed, and that meant that every plant, everything was going to be difficult. There was backbreaking labor that it literally took uh, labor to, to, for the earth to produce uh, uh, and yield uh, uh, the plants and all of that. And so uh, uh, Noah died. And we understand that when Noah died, that the harsh part of that curse went with him. It was lifted. Now, it doesn't mean that it went back to the state of the Garden of Eden uh, and that it was like it was. But we know that uh, some of that harshness was lifted. So Noah's father, Lamech B., uh, when Noah was born, he named him Noah, which means rest, because uh, he said that now we can have some rest and our hands can have some rest because he thought Adam had died now, so the hard work that had to be put in now was lifted and they could rest a little bit. Uh, so uh, uh, so Lebec A, his father-in-law, wanted the benefits of of, uh, of sex and also of a family, uh, but now Lamech B, one of the benefits of the economic production and not have to work for it, which we see that today. Okay, I don't want to get off on that and I'm just talking about an overview. So we see that, uh, uh, that they both uh, had some significant um, uh, ideas and they passed this trend and they passed this ideology uh, or created this in their culture. And so uh, in that, in their names, we looked at uh, the, uh, the Lamed, the Mim, and the Kof. Okay, remember that the CH is K in the Hebrew. Now remember there's no uh, vowels in the Hebrew. So we have the three letters, Lamed, Mim, and Kof. And so uh, I, I will try to remember... That ain't right. We wouldn't know the difference. What is it? I said we wouldn't know the difference. Yeah. So I gotta get my cheat sheet. That didn't look right. Okay. I didn't I didn't take my thing over far enough. So that curl is too big. That big guy doing it again. So we have ramen, and then we have the mem, and then we have the cough. That little there. So those Hebrew letters uh, in the name, we talked about uh, what those represent. The Lamed 
So not only do names have a meaning, but every letter has a meaning in the Hebrew. So each letter has a meaning. So uh, uh, when we see a name with the same letters in there, and we talked about last week in the English, when you have C-A-T and A-C-T, you have the same three letters in those two words in the English, but there's no connection to those. There's no correlation between those two. But in God's language, uh, there's a heavenly uh, uh, secret that's revealed there because when you see the same letters in, uh, in a name or in a word, there's a connection there. And so uh, no matter how you, uh, those, those letters, I remember you read Hebrew from right to left, so no matter what order those letters are in, uh, they are all, those words are all connected because they contain the same letters. So the Lamed uh, in the Hebrew is uh, the Hebrew word Lam, which is, means the heart. The Mim is the Hebrew word Moach, which means, excuse me, which means brain. And the cough is a kavod, which means liver. So you have the heart or the emotions, you have the brain or the intellect, and you have the liver, which is the bodily urges. So when you see those, if you see this in that order, then you see the, the L, the lamed, the lamed is uh, the heart or the emotions. Then we see that Lamech, acted first on his emotions, then on his intellect, and finally, last, on his bodily urges. And so, when you see those letters mix, and you can, uh, it gives you an understanding of how that person uh, uh, actually, uh, their, what their priorities were. So that's the, the validity or the importance of understanding the meanings of names and even the meanings of the letters. So just remember that when the same letters are in different words, then those words are connected, even if they mean something different. So uh, uh, it kind of give us a little bit of, uh, of the priorities of Lamech, uh, both of the Lamech. So we said last week they really weren't crooks, uh, they really weren't villains, uh, but uh, they really weren't kings either, because we talked about the word king, which is Lamech, which means uh, goes on, you know, the intellect uh, first and so uh, anyhow that kind of is kind of where we left off last week and so now we want to uh, pick back up with uh, Lamech A which is Noah's father-in-law uh, so uh, his and, and, and let's look at where that bright idea came from to separate sex and reproduction and how uh, what it uh, did or where it took the future generation. So his father-in-law, which we call Lamech A, uh, Naamah's father, uh, again, his idea of separating sex and reproduction, now we, 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 it's important that we look at where it took the future generation. Uh, so we'll see as we begin to look that this original idea, remember we said last week that uh, at first glance, that kind of sounds like a, not a bad idea, right? Um, uh, if, if it works out. So, uh, but it don't work out. Um, okay, but, but again, because uh, he went off of his emotions first instead of his 
brain. <laughs> Are you with me? Right? Men don't think with their brain automatically a lot. Right? So say it again. I try not to. Um, so we'll see where this original idea was really just a step on the path to sexual deviation. Okay, and that ends with destruction uh, to uh, almost the whole known world at that time. And so now we're seeing this is Noah's generation, right? This is the generation of Noah, which is the 10th generation from Adam, okay? Uh, which it, it becomes the last generation before God destroys the earth with the flood. So we're going to see that uh, Lamech A, or his father-in-law, uh, where that right idea or that original idea to separate those things really led to sexual deviation, okay? So to best understand it, we've got to explain um, a very important concept right here that'll kind of put a, a laser beam or put a spotlight, if you will, on uh, an otherwise unknown reality. Now again, we've talked about some of these things before. Some of you have not we're not here when we uh, talked about them. Some of you were and uh, maybe have forgotten some of those things, and that's perfectly fine. But um, we will, to best understand uh, how to see this idea or this concept or how uh, Lamech A's a bright idea to separate sex and reproduction led or took the generations that came after uh, where it put the world in a place of utter destruction, okay? Uh, uh, so uh, it, it's a truly valuable tool for getting understanding of the Torah. Now, let me remind you right here that the word Torah, the word Torah, okay? That's, you hear that a lot. It's actually Torah, but it, we say Torah so much. It literally means law in the Hebrew. Um, it, that's, that's, it's, it's that simple. It means the law. And technically, the Torah is the first five books of the Bible, or what is also called as the Pentateuch, okay? Uh, so besides the written law, though, so that is the written law. So that, when, when um, your complete Jewish Bible, if you have a complete Jewish Bible, and it speaks of the Torah, the word Torah is used. Keep in mind that it is most generally talking about the first five books of the Bible, that is the written law. So when you think of Torah in its literal sense, then you got to keep in mind that it's the written law. So the written law, again, are the first five books of the Bible, or it's also called the Pentateuch, pent, meaning, meaning five. So, but keep in mind also that besides the written law, it also encompasses the entire Hebrew Bible and Jewish knowledge. So today, when uh, you would hear a Jew speak of the Torah, it would not just be the written law, it wouldn't be uh, just be the five books of the Bible, but it would be the entire Hebrew Bible, which is what we know as the Old Testament. That would be the entire Hebrew Bible. It's separated into major minor prophets, into promises to the Psalms, uh, and those kind of things. So... Um, and also any Jewish knowledge. So you have the Talmud, you have the Oral Law, uh, you have all of those things. So today, 
uh, for the most part, when you would hear a Jew speak about Torah, it would not just be the written law, but it would be uh, all Jewish knowledge uh, and awareness as well as the entire Hebrew Bible. So I just want to give you that because I would use that if I say Torah uh, in, in this study, I would use that interchangeably. It will not always mean the written law, but it will sometimes mean the entire Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament. When you hear me preach and I say the Torah, I'm talking about the Old Testament. When I say that that's all that they had to uh, read. Now, you've got to understand that as the times when the prophets were there and the writing, all they had were the first five books of the Bible. That was their Bible. That was their law. That was the Torah. So in the Old Testament, when it speaks about the word or it talks about the law in the books of the prophets and even in the Psalms, it's talking about the written Torah or the five books of the Bible. That was their Bible. That was their uh, what they learned from, okay? The, the others were written later. So from the time that of God giving Moses the Torah on Mount Sinai uh, more than 3,300 years ago, that was more than 3,300 years ago when that happened, the Torah scrolls had been written exactly the same, following exact and precise directions. So if you would go to a Jewish synagogue today and you would go on Shabbat or the Sabbath for a Shabbat service on a Saturday morning, uh, on their pulpit or on their stage, there is a box that contains the Torah scroll. And that scroll is very sacred. Not everybody gets to, uh, gets to handle that scroll. That's why on the Feast of Tabernacles, when we walk around in our celebration, when I have them walk around carrying the Word of God, uh, one of the only times of the year that, uh, uh, that the, Torah, uh, the, the, the Torah scroll was taken out and handled the most is during Feast of Tabernacles. And they would take it, and the people would parade by, and they would reach out like they were touching it, but they knew they couldn't, but belonging to touch the Word of God. Isn't that awesome? That, that to me, is just, uh, you know, Again, the, the parallel to the spiritual to that. Uh, but you would see that that is a very sacred document. And in every Jewish synagogue, in every Orthodox uh, uh, gathering and uh, connection, that Torah scroll is written precisely and exactly the same. There are scribes or there are people that that is all they do is literally write the Torah scroll. And they do that in Hebrew, and they do that, uh, you know, I'm not sure now, and I can't, honestly don't know if they are allowed to type that. I'm not sure, but I know that there was a time not too far gone that they did it by hand. And so uh, that's what a scribe is in the Word of God. It's the one that writes, that would write the law. Uh, but they have specific rules and instructions on how to write the Torah. So no matter where you would go, in any part of the world, uh, and see a Torah scroll, they would all be exactly the same. They would not. They would be done uh, in the same exact and precise directions. So there's no confusion as to the exact wording or the layout of the Torah scrolls that are used in the synagogue. So a rabbi would not have to look necessarily at the Torah scroll, but could confidently uh, quote it and not have to worry about misquoting it because everything is the same. And so no matter where they are 
in whatever part of the world as they go through the same part of the Torah scroll at the same time every year. It's happening in every synagogue all over, which again, it's pretty awesome, right? That's, that, that's an amazing thing. We can learn from that uh, spiritually. So, uh, so we know that copies of things, uh, you know, I'm not a Shakespeare person, but copies of things like uh, uh, Shakespeare and, and big writings and even different Bible translations, they can all have dis, uh, different disagreements between them, right? How many's ever looked at Bible translations and uh, you see contradiction in different Bible translations? That's why you must be careful. You've got to be careful about some of the translations. And these differences can really be on uh, important points. So there are some things in some translations that have removed some uh, pretty important scriptures. Uh, so you've got to be careful. So uh, uh, Bible translations and, and other uh, li literary works, uh, even though they are supposed to be the same thing, you can put them side by side and often see discrepancies and differences in that. Okay, but when you look at a Torah scroll, again, no matter when it was written or where it was written, they are all identical. And I've got a reason for telling us that, for uh, reminding us of that, because Torah scrolls have no chapters. There are no chapters in a Torah scroll. Okay, um, now I know that uh, the very way that we use to keep track of where we're reading. And a what we're reading was not a part of God's original script. Okay, so the Torah was not written originally divided in chapters. Okay, so that's important um, because there was an a, a archbishop of Canterbury in, um, I think it's about 1227, uh, by the name of Stephen Langdon, uh, who created the division of chapters. So he decided... Uh, to divide the Torah or to divide the word into uh, chapters. And so then the Wycliffe Bible, which some of you may have heard of, was published in 1382. They were the first to actually have the chapters. And ever since then, nearly every Bible that has been published and printed has been printed with the chapters, okay? So every translation has followed that since that first uh, Bible was published by Wycliffe Publishers in 1382. So he looked at the text and he just put them where it seemed logical. Okay? So he decided as he was reading the text that it was logical to say that ends there and we can start a new chapter. That's why there are verses. There are no verse numbers in the Torah. That's why they, they began to put verses in there, okay? So he just decided that uh, to put them where it seemed logical. Now, those are really useful, right, in quoting or even referring to chapter and verse. That's a useful thing, even though I'm terrible at it. Even though I'm terrible at it, John 6 and 4 says this. I am not good at that. I've tried it, tried to memorize it beat myself up because I couldn't, tried to get there, I coveted other uh, people, especially preachers who could rattle off whole chapters of uh, and name the chapters and the verses uh, and then realized that I got free from that uh, and delivered from that coveting and repented of that, realized that as long as I know it's the word, 
and it's in there, uh, especially when I found out that God did not put chapters and verses in there, that I don't think he's going to hold me accountable for not knowing it. Okay, so what's important is knowing that it's the word of God. So uh, I know that it's useful. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have it there. Uh, but uh, they're not useful in understanding the Torah and decoding God's message to humanity. So for the sake of understanding and looking at our study, we need to get rid of chapter and verses. We need to delete them. Okay? So uh, because... The chapters, as they are divided, and the verses don't necessarily tie together the links that are meant to belong together. Right, right. Okay? And that's important when you're reading a story, right? Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, all the same kind of understanding. And neither do they separate topics that are meant to be distinct from each other. So they, they, they connect things that shouldn't be connected, and they separate yep. things that should not be separated. So that's what we've got to understand. So I want you to get that in your mind. So Langton often inserted a new chapter in the middle of a very crucial story. Okay. I believe that. So he, he, he would insert a chapter, and it wasn't that he was being... Uh, diabolical or thought he was going to deceive anybody. He just logically thought this makes better sense. I guess it's easier for people to follow and to read because I've looked at a scroll before and I've looked at a Hebrew Bible that is not separated in chapters and verses and it is intimidating. Set aside the Hebrew letters but it's intimidating because it's just pages of can you find a Bible that's the Hebrew in that order? Like, yes, yes. It's way different. Very different. Very different. Um, so, instead of chapters, here's what you got to understand. In, in, the, in the Hebrew, or in the original Torah, and in the study, instead of chapters, the five books of Moses, or the five books of, of the law, or the Torah... It's not separated into chapters, but it's separated into sedras. Okay? So, ditch chapters, and it's separated into sedras, okay? Or, uh, sedras means portions. So, it's not separated into chapters. Sorry, I hope you can read that. It's not separated into chapters, but it's separated into portions. Now, the five books of Moses is actually divided into 54 portions. So 54 sedras is what the, the, the books of Moses, the Pentateuch, the Torah, the five books of Moses, however you want to look at it, is divided into 52, or excuse me, 54 portions. Each sedra contains five to ten of Langston's chapters. Does that make sense to you? So there's 54 portions in the original uh, Hebrew text of the five books of Moses, and there's five to ten chapters of Langton's in a sedra. Okay? So uh, that's what we're going to look at. So sedras are like God putting brackets around particular understandings or particular 
stories of particular things that, uh, or topics, I guess we could say. It's like God putting a bracket around a topic. So, you know, you would have, instead of a chapter, uh, you would have the Sedra, and, and so maybe, um, you know, there would be in a bracket, then whatever the topic of that content of that Savior would be, would be at the beginning of that. So you would know that that was the topic of the story, and then the Savior would give you the story, which would tell you why it was about. You, you understand what I mean? Does that make sense to everybody? I'm trying to make this really um, simple and understand and help you understand it is because I need it myself. That's how I get it. Okay? So, um, it's like God, again, putting brackets around a topic. Now, Jews usually read one complete Sedra each Sabbath, sometimes two. So every week, they would read uh, they read a complete Sedra, sometimes two. Okay, so they read at least two portions. Uh, you, If you'll remember, back in the day, some of you that were here, we used to put Torah portions in the bulletin. For each week. That would be the portion that they would read for that week. Okay, sometimes there were two. But they, they would be they would read that. And then of course we gave you a uh, we always gave you a psalm and then we gave you a, a New Testament to go with that Torah portion. But just in case you, you remember that. So uh, that's how they finish the cycle of reading the entire Torah by the end of the year. So the Jews read the entire Torah, the entire uh, uh, Torah every year, over and over and over. Okay? It's like, it's like law today. Like, you, they don't, it's not an option. Right. See what I'm saying? And if only we could get that connected to the Word of God, right. to where it's not an option. Is the New Testament included in that also, or just the... No, no, they, they have no fellowship with the New Testament at all. But it's all the Old Testament or just the five books? It's the all five books. books. Oh, okay. And then, but including that, you've got Psalms and, and you've got the prophets. But again, keep in mind that Torah is not just the, the written law, but it's a complete Jewish Bible. Okay, so uh, again, when, when, they, when they go in and they get teaching, so here's the thing. You know, that may sound repetition to you, but you're going to learn it. Right, right. You know what I mean? It's going to get, it's going to get ingrained there and here. And this is why they are so, um, that so. That takes a whole year to read through five books? Out of it. No, they do it over and over. No, they, they, the, not all of just the five books. That's but, what I'm saying. Yeah, it's like the whole Old Testament. But it has to be, it has to be, there are certain, it's not like this, there are certain, like minor prophets and different things that they are, they are not included. So it's not necessarily what we see as the whole Old Testament. There's more there, by Yeah, but they read, they read the whole thing from, so like, they started at Tabernacles. Well, not Tabernacles, but Rosh Hashanah. And then they'll, by the next year at Rosh Hashanah, they will have read through it again. And so keep in mind that they teach this to their children. And that, that when a, by the time a child, a boy, is 13, uh, and he, before he can have his uh, bar mitzvah, he must know that word. He has to have 
uh, committed to that. Same with the, the daughters of Bachmetzah. So same with them by the time they reached the age of 12. So, and, and again, in the Jewish law, that's considered a, a man or a woman. And the reason it is is because of that word. Because they know. That's where we get the age of accountability. That's where we get that, you know, that idea of the age of accountability. It's about 12, 13. Because it, it's, it comes from the, the Jewish understanding. So, uh, you know, and that's why Jesus was the age 12 when they found him in the synagogue. Because that's the age that he was allowed to officially be a man and declare the word of God because he had he had some uh, had now had some authority to declare that. So one just, you know, randomly one day he decided, hey, I think I'm gonna do it. It was God's law. He did everything, God did everything by the law, so that, that they could not refute it. Okay? So um uh, so we can add an insight now by observing what's included in a complete Sedra. So when we, we see what's included in a complete portion, um, is it okay if I say Sedra because I'm probably going to say that instead of portion? Yeah. Just so you understand what I'm talking about. It's kill chapters, no more chapters. They're gone, okay? For the sake of the study, the chapters and the verses are gone as far as getting understanding. So for us to be able to, uh, we, we, we get some added insight by seeing what is included in a complete Savior. So there's places in the Bible um, where it seems a new topic begins, and from any human perspective, and from our thinking, right, uh, just like Langton, uh, it made total sense to start a new chapter there. Okay, but what makes sense to us does not make sense to God. Right. Okay, because God is not finished there yet, okay? But part of the way that God conveyed a deeper wisdom of the text was by deliberately linking things that are on the surface that do not appear to be connected. This is what provokes us to study. This is what provokes us to pray for understanding. This is one of the, uh, the powers and the characteristics of the Holy Spirit is to give us wisdom and to train us and to teach us in those ways. So uh, God conveyed uh, a deeper wisdom of that text by, by deliberately, on purpose, linking things that on the surface do not appear to be connected. That's how Langton could say, you know what, this is a good place for a new chapter. It logically makes sense that God was, was, was not wanting that to happen. This is happening in this section in the book of Genesis where we're at. Talking about the Lamech and, and talking about, again, the days of Noah and, and, and building up to that. So now, keep that in mind. That's why I laid all that other stuff out to you to get up to this point. Um, so according to Bishop Langton's chapters, one topic seems to end at chapter Genesis chapter 5, verse 32. Okay, that's the last verse in chapter 5. Uh, according to his chapters, one topic seems to end at, at chapter 5, which seems to be the ending of the listing of the generation that ended with Noah's sons. So that, according to Langton, that was a good place to end the chapter. But God said, I'm not done with the story here. 
There's something more I need you to understand. There's something more that I want you, that I want to connect. So this new idea then now seems to start in Genesis chapter 6, which begins to detail the problems on earth leading up to the flood and the story of Noah and the building of the ark. So uh, it looks like that we're now getting new information uh, and, or we're now getting a new idea or a new topic when in fact God's still continuing the topic that was in Genesis chapter 5. Does that make sense to everybody? That's why we need to ditch the chapter, okay? But, so in the Savior system that God set up, the first Savior doesn't actually end until Genesis 6 and 8. So, Genesis 6, 8 is really where that first Sadra ends instead of Genesis 5, 32. So, when you're reading the portion or the Sadra, you don't stop at Genesis 5, 32, which gives the genealogy of Noah's sons. You would stop at Genesis 6, 8. And then a new Sadra would begin Genesis 6, 9. Yes, which is, which is a portion, okay? Is everybody with me on that? Does that make sense? Interesting, isn't it? That, that, and that's how we, we, we actually get it. So that first Sadra in Genesis is called the Breshit. And that's simply spelled... Genesis 1 through 6, 8 is one Savior. Yes. Okay. Yep. Yep. And that Savior is titled the Bear Sheet. Okay? Uh, which literally is means the beginning. Okay? So that's that is the bear sheet. So when when Jewish scholars, rabbis, and um, you know, teachers would talk and they would say the bear sheet. They would not, you know what I'm saying? It would go from Genesis 1-1 to Genesis 6-8, okay? And so it's that portion. So that would be a portion that they would have read, and then they would have ended that portion. Does that make sense to, to everybody? Okay. So, um, and it, of course it starts, that the bare sheet, or that first sedra, that first portion, starts in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and it ends with, and Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So that's where the first Sadra ends. So, you know, if you've ever, if you've ever read, we're going to read Genesis 6, 1 through 9 in a, in a minute. So if you haven't, if you're not I'm talking about, just hang with me. But if you ever read that, and then you know you come across that one verse, well, that's kind of a weird place to throw that in there. But it's good to know. Right? You see what I'm saying, though? Um, so it begins with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth, and it ends with Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So Bishop Langton inserted a new chapter, which was chapter 6, with verses of men's behavior and God destroying them. But from Genesis 1-1 to 6-8 is one Savior that speaks of one specific theme. Okay, and then Genesis 6, 9 again starts with a new Sadra with another theme. Okay, so just, just try to keep that in mind. I know that, uh, that 
you know, you may you may not feel like that this is uh, spiritual food, but we've also got to understand that understanding history and understanding concepts and understanding the purpose of the Word of God is scriptural. And it's part of what we do because when you understand it, then you have a better concept that when you connect, you know, um, Regina came up to me after class last week and she said, I just want to show something with you. This scripture in the New Testament came to me when you when you were quoting that scripture. And I said, that's because it's now connected for you. Whereas, uh, you know, there are churches that teach the Old Testament is not relevant. That we don't need to preach the Old Testament. I've said it before. I've had a few people leave because they said, um, I preach too much on the Old Testament. Sorry. We'll apologize for that. You know, um, without the Old Testament, the New Testament makes no sense. It's, set, it's, it's, it's the very foundation for why we're doing what we're doing. So, um, again, you know, it begins to link things together. And so that's why you understand that the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation is connected. Okay? And, and so it begins to, to, to kind of help you uh, bring that in. So the first Sadra begins with God placing humans in a world that he's built by creating order out of chaos. So the bare sheet, the first portion, the first Sadra, begins with the, with the story of God placing humans in a world that he has built by creating order out of chaos. And then over the next 10 generations, people misuse that world and reduce it back into chaos. So that that is literally, and out of that story, and out of that beautiful beginning to that chaotic end, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It's significant, right? So Genesis 6 through 1-4 is really not introducing a new theme at all, but instead it is a climax of an old one. So that Genesis chapter 6, the first four verses, that Langton put in there, you know, started listing all that was taking place and man's, uh, uh, you know, men's mess-ups and, and sins, if you will, um, isn't really beginning a new uh, a portion. It's actually the climax of the first one or the old one, okay? So leading to the concluding verses where God tells us of his intentions to bring a flood. Okay, so we see that uh, God has kind of, uh, it's kind of a build-up, right? Kind of like, uh, I'm, I don't remember what called, but you do plays. You know, the acts, what is that called where it's building up to the end? A plot. Plot, yeah, so the, the plot thickens, right? Mm, the plot thickens. <laughs> and then you get to the end and the, you're like, oh, yeah. Or I knew it, I knew it, I knew it, I could see it, right? That's why, again, we talked in the beginning, how that things can be predictable when we do it God's way. It can be predictable when we do things God's way. That's why you can predict, I will be blessed 
coming in, yes. and I will be blessed going out in the city and the country. I will be the head and not the tail, because I am walking according to the bounds of God's blueprint for life. And it tells me that if I do, I will be blessed. So I don't care what I see, what I feel, who says what, it's not going to change anything. Do you understand that? It's really not hard. It really isn't. The enemy's made it hard. That's right. Okay? And, and thank God we have the Holy Spirit that enlightens us and tells us, pick it up, dude. It's not that bad. You're going to be all right. I got you. You got this. This is going to be okay. Okay? So we, we, we see that, that that chapter 6 is really not introducing a new theme, but it's really that climax of an older one. So, you know, uh, there's a, a true life lesson there in that. Uh, you know, God leading up to those concluding verses where he tells what he intends to do. It's not like he kept it a secret, but he said, I'm going to bring a flood and I'm going to destroy this earth because I can't tolerate this chaos any longer. Okay? Because if I let them go, they're going to think that what they're doing is all right. And it's not. Okay? That's the blessing of judgment. So, you know, there's a true life lesson there that most things in life don't prog don't progress at an even measure pace, right? Most things don't don't move forward or progress. Instead, they start out slowly, and then they kind of gain momentum, and then they begin to move along more and more quickly. For example, when a woman becomes pregnant, if if she uh, weighs herself, see. That, that her, her weight gain in the first trimester uh, is much less than the weight gain in the last trimester. Right, ladies? Yes. The weight gain in that first trimester is typically a lot less than the one in the, uh, the last trimester. And same with white businesses. Businesses usually don't fail or flourish, either one, by increasing their businesses just, say, by a half percent each quarter. They really don't don't uh, uh, grow or uh, really uh, increase or flourish by by doing that uh, because there's periods what of rapid growth and then they plateau or vice versa with periods of setbacks and then leveling off. So it, there, there's no consistency in that. So uh, on the path, my point being is on the path of society's decay. Which is where we are at now. Society is sinks. It has decayed so much that it is like rotting flesh, as it was in the days of Noah. Just there's more people doing what they were doing in the days of Noah, and there's easier access. So much you get it. So there's nothing new. Okay, it's just. There's different ways to do it, different means, different opportunities, and many, 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 many more people doing it, okay? So, uh, it's the same on the path uh, of society's decay. The first steps to decay start out really slow, and they're really almost unnoticeable. Go back to the 50s and the 60s. And the 70s, and the 80s, and the 90s. Are you with me? You've seen that? And now we are where we are. Same as it was in the days of Noah. Remember? Lamech A was the sixth generation after Adam. And 
Noah's father was the ninth generation. After Adam, Noah was the tenth generation. So, you know, it, it took, it, it didn't happen immediately. It was a slow fade, okay? It's the same when people backslide. They don't, you don't just get up one day and say, you know what, I'm not going to go anymore. You have gradually, slowly declined in your commitment to your relationship with God. And then one day you wake up and realize you're not there anymore. But your heart's completely gone. It just doesn't happen that quickly, okay? So uh, the first steps start out slowly. And they're really almost unnoticeable. So, just like when you ladies are pregnant, you know, again, back to that, the first few weeks, if, I, if, I, if I'm pregnant, uh, a woman weighs herself every morning, it's going to show almost no sign of the baby. Right. But she's on her way to deliver, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, in some cases, 12, 13, 14. Oh, Lord. Oh, you saw baby. But for most, five to eight pound, you know, six to eight pound. So just because there's no evidence of that growth or that progress in the beginning doesn't mean she's not pregnant and not growing a baby inside of her. She is on her way to deliver that baby. Are you are you understanding that? So it, it's that it's that same idea. So it's that same um, a story of lament and his goal of having two wives. When it happened it was almost unnoticeable. I'm sure that not very many gave it a whole lot of thought. In the whole scheme of things it probably you know they probably got used to it. But by the time that people start paying attention the destructive changes have already started taking place. Right where we are now. They took prayer out of school. It was almost unnoticeable. Gradually, we see the decline in our generations of, of kids and the education system. Are you with me? To now we're like, put prayer back in school. If we just if we hadn't taken prayer out of school, well, we should have thought of that 60 years ago. You know what I'm saying? And it's, it's the same thing. It, 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 by the time that we notice it, the destructive changes have already started taking place. So the damage has already been done. There are people, innocent babies, that have lost their lives, that have lost and been denied the chance to live because it went unnoticed in the beginning. Okay, and this is where we are now. That's why it is important as a Christian for you to cast a vote on these kind of things. Because if you do not inject any effort, chaos will ensue. And every child of God that puts forth the effort, that injects something into the system, is going to push back. Okay? This is why now it's important that you say, oh, well, you know, that little that little change in the Constitution is not going to make a difference. Where have you been? Where have you been? And it's not the fact that you're judging a particular sin. It's just that sin is sin is sin is sin, and sin begat sin. 
And the end of that is death. Okay? And so the little bit of leeway that's given to words in a constitutional law, how it's written, can change the whole scope. Okay? And so that means that your little children, my grandbabies, this affects them. This is devastating for their future. And we should be extremely concerned about that. As parents, grandparents, as adults, okay? So that's why that's why it's important. So now we have 1656 years have passed between Adam and the flood. There were 1656 years between Adam and the time of the flood. Okay? That's a lot of years. 1656 years. But the last 120 of those 1656 years saw society's deterioration at a very fast pace. And these are the years that are discussed in Genesis 6, 1 through 4. Okay? So remember, Genesis 6, 1 through 4 is not a new chapter. It, it's still part of the first portion. Okay? So, uh, you know, Noah built, right, that, that, that 120 years. So that last 120 years, there was a quick, rapid deterioration of society to where God said, I've got to do something. That's where we're at. I can look just in the last five years. There's been a rapid decline. My mom's been gone four years. I've said it more times than I can count. My goodness, if my mom was here, the things that she would say about what's happening. Like, she would be astonished because I'm seeing things, witnessing things that I never thought I would witness before. Good being called evil and evil being called good. But the Bible predicted it. The Bible told, right? So, let's look at Genesis 6 and verse 1. If you can pull that up for me. Actually, let's read 1 through 9, and then we'll go back to verse 1. So let's read this. So, remember now, 6, Genesis 6, 1 through 8 is still part of this, this first portion. Verse 9 begins a new saga. All right, so keep that in mind as we read it. So it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. The last 120 years of that first 1656 years was the quick deterioration. So God said, you know, remember, uh, Lamech lived, what, 777, I think, last week? He yeah. said he was 777 years old. Yeah. Oh. That's crazy. That's a lot of years to live. Do you think that they were like old, like 
people are old now, like at night, they would think that the bad, like 90 wouldn't be 90 now. Because 90 the sin wasn't as, as deep and had as many years to decay. Right. Well, even just well, the, the air and the yes, quality of the stuff. Yes, yes, everything. That's what I was saying. Like, we watched a creation series for Dr. Kenton O'Brien, and he is, have you ever watched him? Funny, he's funny, he's very intelligent. And he basically goes around like debating evolutionists and stuff, like basically proving the Bible's true. And he said before the flood, there was a layer of water over the atmosphere. It never rains, that's what kind of like watered the earth. He said it made more oxygen in the air, that's where everything grew bigger, lived longer, and all that. That's where you have the giants and all that. So he said after it rained, that water layer of water is no more over the atmosphere anymore, so there's not as much oxygen. He said, like, if you take a reptile that never stops growing its whole life, if it lived a big, long time and never stops growing, he said, what are you going to get? You're going to get a dinosaur, you know. Very, I mean, he's a very smart man. And, he, and he's funny, though, so it makes it, like, fun watching him. But that's how he kind of explained There's more oxygen in the air. That's why everything grew better, grew bigger, lived longer, more healthier. Yeah. That's, that's the dome that the Bible speaks about in the beginning. That was over the earth. Yeah. It's the dome. We're not going there. <laughs> Some of you are looking at like, but it's true. It's true. What? We're not going there. So, let's go here. There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now remember, this is still the first Sahara, okay? And it repented the Lord that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air where it repented me that I had made them. Now remember, here's the end of the first portion. But in all of that, there was one man who found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And his name was Noah. Okay? Now, let's read verse 9. Now remember, verse 9 now begins a new topic. This begins a new portion in God's eyes, in the writing. So now, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man, and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. Now think of that. In all of that other stuff, and, and, and his father made him rest, Noah, for the purpose of wanting to get the benefits of provision without working hard, because he thought that was the blessing of God. And all the, de the degeneration and all of the destruction and all of the sin that was happening. But yet Noah was a just man and he was perfect in his generations. There was no law. He had nothing to follow like we do. He had nobody teaching him and telling him, this is how you walk before the Lord. You love him, this, this, and that. Now you've got to think about that. Noah Noah loved God he walked with God and he was perfect not meaning he didn't fail but that he was mature compared to the others in his generations 
So think about his father looking at him and probably thinking, well, who does he think he is? <laughs> right? And, and his family. Now, here's what you got to understand. We were talking about this last week after class. But, and I know we preach it and we talk it and we teach it, but the Bible does not say anywhere, for the exception of 1 Peter, there's an, allude, an, an, an alluding to, um, uh, who am I talking about? Noah. Yeah. So let's say Peter. <laughs> Don't mean Jesus. Uh, I got turkey in the brain. Um, <laughs> um, that alludes to Noah calling him a preacher of righteousness. But nowhere in the scriptures does it say that Noah warned anybody about the flood. It's not in the Bible. What? What? It's not. There's nowhere in the scripture that says Noah went around telling everyone. I mean, I've read it, but you know, you just don't like. It's going to rain. There's nowhere in the scripture that 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 specifically says Noah warned the people. Now, think about. Take me back to Matthew nine or nine twenty four. Oh Jesus. Thanksgiving be over. Um, <laughs> I think it's 38. <coughs> no, it's the last one. 39. <laughs> and they knew not right. until well, the flood came yeah. and took them all away. They didn't know. He didn't cry, rain, rain. No. Why do people teach you that then? Because I don't know. They they because, okay. because, 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 because you would think that you would. Well, as a good person, you would almost think you would want to. I am yeah. bored right now. Right. <laughs> and I've and read so, it like so many times. So and just did not get it. So, That's why I'm coming here. But that tells us. Think of that though. Jesus tells us to do what? Tell them. Go tell. Go tell. So there. Should not be as many people that do not know about the coming of the Lord. That's what the days because we have been commissioned to go tell. So just keep that in mind. Go back to Genesis now, please. Six. Go to go to verse one. I'm going not to cut us off here. Um, he probably never said a word either. That's probably why they were laughing at him building books. Well, yeah. You know, he was building an art. Again, keep in mind that. The, the I wonder idea, if he told him it's going to rain. Because it had never idea, rained, right? No. The idea of rain was just not a known concept. It's not even a thing. Well, they probably thought he was crazy. What is rain? You're That's what I'm saying. Not yeah. exactly. And so imagine his sons and their, his wife and, and their, his daughters in law. Who said, Dad, what are you doing? Because God said he's going to destroy the earth by a flood. So, Our dad's living. I don't know. But I don't know. But the Bible, the Bible doesn't, the Bible doesn't, again, doesn't say, but think about, think about what the dynamics of that. Okay? And again, and as we said, it wasn't the rain that destroyed the earth. The rain prepared the ground. It was the deep opening up that flooded the earth. The rain did not flood the earth. It was when the deep opened up. It flooded the world. The rain, if we can say it like this, the rain saturated, prepared the ground. And then you read it. It says the deep opened up 
and then the water kept rising because the deep, we go back to the beginning, when he talks about the deep, what was the deep? Remember we talked about the beginning in the first um, first uh, lesson or, or study that we did, first part of our study, about the deep meaning turmoil, chaos, okay? So it releases it, okay? So it's like the earth throwing up, if I can say it like that. You see what I'm saying? Like the earth is sick and tired of that. So it's like, it's like God opened up the deep because he separated it. So that that dome you talked about, was that, was that yeah, one? Okay. That. Okay, but he separated that, right? In the beginning and, and separated us. Then he allowed that rain to come and then he opened up the deep and it's like it all came back together and brought it until all of it was destroyed. And then he lowered the water again. And brought it, but now we have rain and weather, which is part of, I think, like recompense and, and like uh, judgment. But it's part of, of dealing with, you see what I'm saying? Whereas there would be some. Anyhow, let's go here. I want to cut off at a certain point tonight. Verse 1. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them. Daughters were born to them. Now, if you go and look at Genesis 5.30, it says, which was what? What's the first one? Wait a minute, I, have, I have another question. <laughs> so the sons of God, I've heard that those were angels. Is that we'll, get, we'll get there. Okay. We'll get there. Not tonight. That's why I want to get this part. That's why I want to get So, literally, literally, what? This is verse 1. So, literally, Genesis 5.30. Uh, so, literally, three verses prior to this, it says that he begat sons and daughters. And so, they were being born all along, right? It's not like... That, Are you still talking about Noah? Yeah. So, because when men began to... That was after the celebration. No. Not yet. Was that in you on the boat? Men are still on... This is not Noah. Men That's what I just asked if you're talking about Noah. You're like, yeah. <laughs> no, having sons and daughters in That's Genesis 5. Yeah. But the flood hasn't came because remember, 6-1 is still part of the first portion. I'm tired. Okay? <laughs> so... What I'm trying to say is that this 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 idea of 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 daughters wasn't like some exclusive thing. Now you got to look at the word began in in verse uh, verse one six one. The word began is the Hebrew word halal. Can you see that? I don't want to have to erase the word. But. That's the Hebrew word, excuse me, began, all right, halal. Then it also says that they began to do what? They began to multiply. Um, but in the, in the original Hebrew, um, it, it, it says they began to have many daughters instead of multiply. So the word many or multiply in Hebrew is the Hebrew word Larove. I know it looks like Larob. The B is, is a V 
pronunciation. So it's La, it's Larov. So we have began Hallel, and then multiply or or to have many is Larov. Now, obviously, daughters were born to them, as we see that again in Genesis chapter five, right? You see that in verse five twenty six and verse five thirty. So. This information in 6 1, that's the point I'm trying to make. It isn't just a mere uh, fact. This isn't just like, oh, wow, they had daughters. So it's not just some kind of a, a, a mere fact. Sons being omitted here and only daughters then. So my point is that's telling us that they, they specifically say three verses prior. That they had sons and daughters, but then in this one, they specifically just said daughters. So remember, when when words are there, they have a purpose. So sons is being left out here, and daughters only being uh, put here because it's pointing to a deeper revelation, okay? An obvious deeper revelation. So this isn't shocking information. Oh my gosh, they had daughters. So I'm saying like. Because I'm told that they had sons and daughters. But the fact that they're just saying they had daughters says something to us. Is that, does that make sense to everybody? I'm, I'm, I'm about to finish this for tonight. But Hallel not only means beginning or began. It also means the trashing and renouncing of a tradition or the beginning of breaking a tradition. It's literally profaning the past by abandoning it and then partnering with the unknown. So it's not only began. So when they began to have many daughters, they were, they were starting to, to partner with the unknown or to renounce tradition and abandon morals and traditions. Are you with me? And they, they began to profane what was once considered normal. If I can say it like that. Which is where we are today, with marriage and 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 relationships. Okay, is that are you are you with me? So, um, departing, they were literally departing from tradition and experimenting with something new. Think 1960s, right? They were they were departing from tradition and experiment with something new. Men began to become many. Okay, which is again the robe in the Hebrew. The robe shares a root with the word meaning argumentative. So as they begin to become many, okay, they, they multiply, they begin to become many, and they have daughters, okay. Not only does that mean that they, they multiply, but it meant that they were, it comes from a root meaning argumentative. So now, if a word, remember in the Hebrew, if words, Share a root, they share a concept. So when you have when you have three words that have three different words that have the same root word, there's a connection there. Okay? So that's what that's what you, you gotta understand. So now we have a better understanding of Genesis 6.1. So if I could reword it in this understanding of these words, okay, and then also the, the, the original Hebrew. It, it might say something like this. And it came to pass, as men began to abandon traditional values and to become many over the face of the earth, 
They also became very argumentative and daughters were born to them. Hello, Facebook. Everybody that, that is the very ones that call truth seekers hypocrites are hypocrites. They're hypocritical and they are argumentative. And we must be careful not to get caught up in that argumentative attitude. Been there, done that, repented over it. Delete. 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 Delete, right? Okay, because that's, that's the thing. So, men who don't have a moral framework, these men are not seeing each other as productive partners and friends, but rather as rivals and enemies. Now, keep that in mind and then put women in the picture. Not only women, but beautiful women. Men who don't have a moral framework, okay, are you with me? Men who don't have, they do not see each other as, as, as equals or productive partners and friends, okay? Are you with me? But they see each other as rivals and enemies, which is where we are today, right? Now, put good looking women in that, in these men. And men become insane. Is that what the daughter's part is? That's where we're at. Okay, that's, that's where we're at. Okay, because they began, go to the next verse. I'm really in. They saw that the daughters of men, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that were fair or very attractive or beautiful. I think, I think the original Hebrew text says beautiful, I think. And they took them wives of all which they chose. So they were married, giving in marriage, but they wanted to and felt like that they had the right to do that. And so it became a rivalry. Are you with me? Okay, so, so beautiful, attractive women and men who had neglected values that came down to them from Adam and they were argumentative. Do you see the recipe? And where are we at today? Like, really, honestly, put today's culture in that mindset. It is nothing new. So there's no surprise in their actions, right? Now, wonder how women are going to be treated in that environment. How are women going to be treated in that environment? So to answer that question, then we need to look at the next three very cryptic verses, and that's where we're going to stop. And next week is baptism. <laughs> so, so it'll be it'll be what December seventh. Yes. So, so hopefully. Hopefully, most of that made sense to you and kind of brought you in the, Do you see why, though, it really is important, I think, and, you know, some, I know that probably some pastors would say, I wouldn't take a, I wouldn't take a circuit sign to spend, 
you know, doing that kind of thing. This is good. I like it. Why wouldn't we? Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Why wouldn't we? Because I feel like, again, it's going to help you. Because, because if you really, if you really get a hold of it, then it ought to make you less impulsive to want to deck people today. <laughs> right? Because you want you want to you want to punch stupid. Right? I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about you want to punch stupidity. I just want to knock the stupid out. Right? Like that's stupid. Like how do you not see that passing some kind of law like that is not detrimental to this country. Yeah. Christian or no Christian, that is just a moral, like, where is your brain besides somewhere else? In your hiding or something, I don't know. I mean, like, so, but it ought to help you understand that that's what Jesus was saying. That as it was, it is then, okay? And remember, the word violence. And it says the earth was filled with violence. That's the Hebrew word Hamas. Okay? So we see that. You know, that ought to, that ought to do a thing. But I'll tell you, there, God is moving. God is intervening. Our prayers for Israel, they're in this war. They're working. Okay? Don't give up. Don't stop praying for Israel and praying in this situation. So I appreciate you. Um, and thank you again for your attention um, and for your input. And if, again, if, you, if there is something that you're not clear about, you can always ask me. If I don't know, I'll, we'll, we'll find the answer. Because uh, I certainly don't know everything. Thank God. Amen. Don't you know? That's a terrible thing to know everything. That's a, that's a heavy weight. Um, and, and yeah, so we appreciate you. Uh, I truly do wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. Um, and uh, be blessed with what you're doing. Don't forget, April will have something for all of our um, teens, our students, to adults, and then I'll have something for um, the little kiddos. Nothing, nothing big or extravagant. Just want to thank you and uh, bless you uh, on this season of gratitude. So uh, if you're staying with us, amen, we're going to uh, blast our shofars. And lift your hands and bless the Lord and honor God and give him a shout of praise for all that he's done tonight. I appreciate you. God bless you. We love you. Amen. Amen.